Hi there, everybody. Welcome to another episode of the Cloud-Based Mayhem. This is your host, Gavin McClurg. Got a great show today for you with Michael Vichy, who I met walking down off, well, actually I trained with him before the 2015 X-Alps, but he was in the 2015 race, and he and I had a really cool talk on the way down from Ashow, day two, in a rainstorm with Aaron Duragati and a few others, and I've always really appreciated that talk and wanted to reach back out to him because he's been awfully active lately. Uh, he's one of the coaches for the X-Alps Academy, and he has he was the brainchild and the event organizer and operates the Iger Tour, which has been a very successful four-day race across the uh, Bernie's Oberland in the Interlaken Zone and Iger Zone the last few years. It's been a really awesome race, which we hope to get over to this year after the X-Alps. And he's a dad. He's one of the most task-winning pilots in the World Cup in history. Might even be, he might have won more than anybody else. I don't have that data to back it up. I did search for it, but fascinating individual, very successful businessman and engineer and incredible pilot and it was fun to share some time with him in the 2015 race and it was really fun to reach back out and talk to him about all things flying in this show. I think you're really going to enjoy it. We cover a lot of ground including the X-Alps and what's going on with the X-Alps Academy and what he's teaching and learning there. Today's top of the show tip, uh, I'm going to make a shot at answering this one, although I'm certainly no expert in this, but it actually comes from Nick Hawks. He sent me a text a couple weeks ago that said, when, if ever, would you use a single skin wing? Do you think of them as a viable option for anything beyond getting in a workout and quick flight? So certainly I do use them a lot for workouts and quick flights, but definitely I would use them for Alpine stuff uh, as a descent tool. I know, I've heard stories at least, uh, and Fabian Blanco goes into single surface wings a lot more in his show if you want to hear more about single surface wings, but they have come a long way. They are great little tools. I have not, I, like I said, I've, I've heard of people doing it in the Alps uh, and flying proper XC, but I can't really imagine doing that on them. I, I, don't, I just don't feel very secure i don't you know they don't have a ton of bar performance they don't have great glides they are insanely easy to launch and once you get used to them land they don't have the kind of same brake authority obviously that a typical wing does just because they don't have the energy but once you kind of get that smooth then they work great for that but i they're just so light and so fun but i never feel that secure on them when it's really thermic and a little bit wild, that always makes me really nervous. So that may just be lack of experience on them. So I'm definitely no expert on this, but personally, I don't like using them for any kind of real flying. I like to use them as a descent tool and as a fun play thing. You know, they're great to use ground handling because they're just, they're, there's nothing to them. So you can really use them in a ton of wind. So that's how I approach it. One thing I think that maybe a lot of people are doing that they should change is make sure you fly them with a reserve. You know, typically we're flying these things with bikini harnesses and we don't have any real padding and safety. So we certainly don't want to crash them. 
that's why I don't really like using them in any kind of real conditions because I just feel pretty naked up there. But definitely, you know, they're a wing. Definitely don't treat them so much like a speed wing when you're when you're right on the certain wire on the ground. You need to have a reserve. So I I fly with my Niviac Romer 2 harness, which is a nice airbag. So it's got some really nice passive safety and then uh, a, a reserve. And I think that's probably a good idea and adds very little weight and adds another kilo so that's my thoughts on the single surface enjoy the show with michael Ritchie. michael it's uh man it's good to see your face bud you have an age today the last time i saw you we were <laughs> hiking down off it was day two of the uh 2015 x alps and we were hiking down off the camp and bond in a horrible storm and uh and i never saw you again so it's good to see you yeah gavin i'm, I'm very happy to see you as well and i've of course i've followed you all those years you know on on, on uh, social media and uh, i'm very proud of your that I met you there and you're the only American that uh, saw Monaco, right? In the, in this race. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think you, so. Uh, I th- that day too, you got out ahead of me and I, man, I had a bad day. It just nothing, nothing lined up for me that day. And it, it took me quite a few days to catch up with you. I think I finally caught you on day eight uh, going into the Matterhorn. And, and then, you know, we got down to Monaco and Bruce didn't, like Monaco so much that we had to leave immediately. <laughs> so oh, I didn't really? go to the party. Oh man, he hated it. And, and my, my feet were just, oh man, I was destroyed. It was a combo of Bruce really wanting to get out of Monaco. And then the van rental we had, I had screwed up and we had to get it back to, uh, we had to get it back to Germany, back to Munich, like the day of the party. I mean, literally, so right. we had that night in Monaco when I got in, whenever that was, day, day 10. And, and the next morning drove all day and all night to get the van back to Munich and crashed it on the way back. So yeah, the, it, it kept being eventful even after the race. <laughs> so you, hey, missed, you missed the drunk people sneaking into my van and sleeping next to me <laughs> that night. <laughs> I had to kick out. I think there were some Czech pilots. Oh, man. I was into my bus. I was in so much pain that first night. I mean, literally, I couldn't walk. The next morning, Bruce had to carry me to the bathroom. And it looked like somebody had beaten on my feet with hammers. And uh, <laughs> so that that first night that we were sitting around, I think Paul was there and Aaron and a few others. I think Kriegel had like gone home to, and then was going to come back to the party or something. He wasn't around, but yeah, he, he had finished a couple of days before. Yeah. Yeah. But uh, so we started drinking and my feet hurt so much. And Bruce he was an anesthesiologist. So he had a bunch of oxycodone on him. So I took like three oxycodone and had about six beverages and whoa, I was a happy man that night. I was ah, just bouncing off the, uh, bouncing off the proverbial walls. But Hey, you know where I thought would be really fun to start is, you know, cause otherwise we're going to be talking about the X ops and nobody listening is going to know what we're talking about, but you threw your reserve. Uh, I don't, I can't remember. It was like day five or day six in the race. Uh, coming into Switzerland, right? And uh, yeah. that was, I think, the same day that they kind of covered this up. In a, in a, well, I don't know if they covered it up, but Toma, I didn't realize that Toma crashed so badly. They, I mean, it sounded like he really should have died. Um, he kind of had his face torn off. And, you know, we were we were battling a lot of wind in that 
pretty much the entire race, except day one, we were, we were just battling the winds. Um, tell me about your reserve. I, I thought it was just, you just landed in the lake. It was no big deal, but we, just before we started there, you said it was actually pretty, pretty dramatic. You're, you had a, a, a wife at home who was pregnant and, and, uh, yeah, it sounded scary. Yeah. So, um, it, it, it was a bit scary. You know, I've, one of my problems during the race was, was that I couldn't really sleep because I hate sleeping with uh, high temperatures. And normally I went to hotels. I was one of the few pilots who went to hotels. I didn't sleep in my van, if ever possible. And even those hotels in Italy and in Germany, they wouldn't have aircon. You know, I was... Oh. So I was actually very tired, but with open eyes all night. So I, I think that accumulated. And that last day, I told my guys, this night I want to pay in Swiss francs again. I don't like euros. I want to be back in Switzerland. So we started the last flight. It was Stefan Gruber and me, and we flew into Switzerland. And at some point we noticed we, we were very high, 3,000 something meters. At some point we started to feel the fern. You know, that's that um, effect. I don't know if you have this in the States. We have it Not, from north to south. Do you have yeah. it west to east? I don't know. We we do in a sense, but we don't. We, we don't. No one ever talks about it. I think we get it more than we. And we don't even really know what it is, but you don't, it's not dramatic. You don't get the real ferny dumping effect like you do in Europe, you know, where you have these massive pressure gradients. We just deal with a lot of wind. So, yeah, this is maybe it's one of the dangerous things that, I, that can happen. But in the X Alps, it's clear that you will fly. You know, it's clear. And it's, it's also the fern has this property that it, the lower, the stronger. So if you're high, you start to feel a little bit, you know, face wind, and then we start to accelerate. And suddenly we were standing in in this Boschiavo, um, it's called, this village, and uh, we were, you know, full accelerated and not advancing anymore. Mm. And uh, then I, I got this collapse, and which normally I think I would have opened. This was an easy glider, actually, GTO2, mm. the one that I had, but... I was just too tired and I waited maybe three seconds to look up and then I was already big cravat going down. And I thought now it's time to throw the reserve. You know, I was tired. I was not so high. So I threw it. And then, of course, with this wind, 40 to 50 kilometers an hour, it blew me. And I was first, I was scared to, you know, to face a building. Yeah. You know, hit the building, but then I... I realized I was going to land in the water. <laughs> How high are chances to land in a on a rescue in a in a cold mountain lake? <laughs> and and very very fortunately, I had trained this before. I don't know why I trained it. You know, I threw. I, I went over Lake Brienz. I threw my reserve. I came down. I, I you know I started to avoid that pendulum. A situation mm -hmm. where you have the the parachute on one side and the glider on the other side, so I knew exactly how to deal it, you know, to bring in the normal glider. And then I also, since my harness had no buckles, you know, I knew how yeah. to get out. So five meters above the water, I got, get out of my shoulder straps and stuff, and then I dive in and I get out immediately. I'm out of of my harness. So because I had it trained. Mm, Luckily, that was smart. 
So I didn't tangle up with the lines, which is normally the most dangerous thing in those lakes when you land there. But also then, I don't know, my brain was maybe malfunctioning. I start to, first I try to save my stuff, you know, my cell phone in the air. And, and suddenly I realized this is, you know, now, now these things are lost. I have to look after my life. So I let go everything and start to swim with, with all my clothes on which now I have discussed a lot, you know, if you land in cold water, should you be naked or not? I mean, naked in underwear, however. Um, and I think it's, I don't know, I think it's worth to keep the clothes on. But, you know, we had a, we had a Swiss pilot dying in the, in the Atlantic Ocean in Spain last year because it was too cold. And the guy who was with him until the very last moment, he told me that, he 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 was not sure if it was a good idea but anyway so i was swimming with full everything on and against the wind i don't know why because i was in the middle of this lake and i mm -hmm. measured it it's it's maybe it's half a kilometer it's not that far and i swam and suddenly you know i start to feel my my energy going down and then that's where my daughter comes into <laughs> into the story because she, my wife was six months pregnant, and I thought that you have to swim. It can't be that your daughter do doesn't get to know you. And this gave me like the energy to to swim to the shore. And once arrived there, there was uh, an ambulance. There was the police. They gave me some wool blankets, and I was shaking for an hour from the cold. And then shortly after, uh, um, there was Tarkin Cooper calling me. <laughs> That's the, the only moment that I was interesting to the, to, to the exiles. <laughs> yeah, th those of us who aren't Kriegel don't get a whole lot of attention. <laughs> Normally, you have to be in the front or in the very back, you know? That's right. But if yeah, you're yeah. Um, uh, in the middle and if you're like the second Swiss or the third Swiss, then... Uh, you're not of a big yeah interest. you're an after ran man you're an afterthought <laughs> but anyway so uh, the, the one thing that just you know pops out of my mouth is uh what doesn't kill you makes you stronger nice easy nice. said but then i tell you the next from the next uh, until that day i was always uh, amongst the five first pilots i think and from the very next day on i started to do one mistake after the other and some were also because of fear, you know, mm -hmm. like flying over this Bernina glacier. And I already saw myself, you know, hanging in one of those crevasses with my parachute. And I, I flew shit from that moment on. So suddenly my strength would, would have been flying because I was not a, you know, a physical athlete. I've been always a, a how you say this, World Cup, World Cup pilot. Yeah. Suddenly, my my strength was gone, and and walking became my new strength. And uh, you know, I I think I walked like 150 kilometers more than Kriegel to get to yeah. Monaco that year. But it was really you, because I did many mistakes after that. But man, you did it! I mean, I think that you know I've thought about this a lot since that that race. And when you when you went in, uh, you know, Toma had to retire, obviously, because he was so mangled. And, you know, Tom Dorlado had to get helicoptered out. Uh, Michael Gebhardt, that same day, I think that you threw your reserve just said enough's enough. You know, I mean, we were dealing with 
a lot of wind, which I think, you know, yeah. uh, we haven't really experienced in the last couple. And, you know, I just wonder if I could even do that now, you know, I, I'm, I've thought about you a lot because you get in this headspace. People are always asking, you know, how do you deal with the intensity of the conditions? Cause they can often be pretty rotten. And, and wouldn't you say, I mean, everybody I've talked to that, that competes in the race, we get in this headspace almost like day one that you've just got it. You're confident. It doesn't matter what the weather throws at you. You can deal with it. You're, you're, you're optimistic and confident. It's that combination. Maybe you're in flow and that, you know, that Thomas Darlow talks about a lot. And, but when you have something like what you have through, you're obviously thrown way out of that your gears torched, your, all your instruments are shot. Uh, you're, you've had this kind of near death experience. Um, I met, man, it was, must've been hard to have kept going. Actually, for me, it was very clear that I would go on, mm. you know, I never, I never, even though my family, you know, they said, are you sure you want to go on? Maybe this is a sign. And, and I'm very stubborn. I said, no, this is not a sign. I'm going <laughs> on and I don't regret it. And it was never in question, but yes, as I told you before, um, from that moment on, I was a little bit scared in the air. Did you know? that? How long did that take to resolve? Was it was it done by the Not end of the too race? Long, I think in years? half a year I was back back okay. in the game. Okay. It, you and know, you, I also I was very conscious conscious that it was very it was the mixture between my uh, being being very tired in a normal a normal day. I would not not have thrown the reserve. I would just have kept my glider open. So I knew it was a very special situation. And it was the only reserve in 22 years until now that I had to throw. And I hope it will stay the only one. So I knew this in my head. This was clear. You know, it was not a normal situation. That's why afterwards when flying, I was not really scared that much. Was the XOPS your first hike and fly comp? No, no, no. I did. I did two uh, comps before, because I, before that I had no idea. I just, you know, Kriegel and me, we were at the Swiss Championships from normal competition, and I, I just had lost like sixteen kilos because I was, I was a heavy guy, and even Kriegel was a heavy guy before because we wanted yeah. to have the big gliders. You know, I was yeah. ninety-seven kilos and he was ninety-two one day, so then I. I lost the weight and he had already lost it way before because he was doing this exams. And I said, Krieger, what do you think? I would like the the idea of this race going always forward, you know, not triangles and forth and back. We call that the Mickey Mouse, you know, no Mickey Mouse game, just go. And then he said, yeah, if you really want it, you can do that. And then I started to train and then he told me to do some, some uh, preliminary uh competitions and it was very useful to me because you know I, I was always taking off on very nice green grassy hills and everything was nice and suddenly i had to take off in rocky fields on snow so um i had those two years to get a little bit prepared with with hike and fly yeah you and i had we spent a little bit of time in Zermatt before the race. That's where we met. And we, we yeah, got to do a that. little bit of training together. I mean, you're being a little humble. You're saying, you know, you, that your strength really wasn't on the ground, but you were fit. 
I mean, you, you, you looked fit certainly, and you certainly could move on the ground. Did you, what did your compare, compare your training to the 2015 race to what you're teaching now in the X Alps Academy Academy? How does it, how does it look different if at all? Um, so what, what, <clears throat> what we teach is basically, especially if we think about X Alps, because we have a lot of also very fast races in Switzerland, but let's stick to the X Alps, which is a long race. So we say you don't have to be fit. You have to be, um, solid, solid, yeah. which means, you know, it doesn't matter if you, if you get 10 minutes later on the takeoff, but you have to resist 10 days of walking yeah. and of hiking up and, you know, it to be durable. And, and that, yeah, durable. That's the right, the right yeah. word. So that's what we, what we teach our guys. And of course, then we train also them to be very fit. So we do inter interval trainings. I always train my muscles, you know, like, um, Jim, the but yeah, a lot of a lot of outdoor people, mm -hmm. they would, you know, they would say Jim is stupid and I don't go to the gym. And I think that that conscious has has um, grown that also the outdoor people know that if they want to get better, they have to go twice or once a week at least to train their muscles to strength and not only to endurance, just to be to be solid. But I always, yeah. I always had done this. So I, that was one, one thing that maybe others didn't do at the, at the time. And I'm, I'm pretty heavy, so I was not the guy to do a 100-meter record. But on the other hand, I trained walking 12 hours without really stopping. And that helped me the very last night that I knew that I, I had to walk 85 kilometers in a row without, yeah. you know, without stopping. So that was, and then as an entrepreneur, I had little time to actually train, you know, much less than other people. So I had um, one day per week and I had the weekend. And in the evenings I was running, but that, that was about it. What was your confidence level going into it? Cause I, you know, we were both rookies in 2015 and I, I literally just had no idea if I could if I even belonged there, I, I felt, you know, when I saw everybody in, in the, in Fuchsia that first week, I thought, okay, well, at least physically I've prepared. It, it just seemed like, okay, well, I think physically I'm going to be okay. But I just, I, I don't know. I was, I, I had a lot of anxiety going into the, the race. The prologue really helped, you know, even though I don't think anybody took that very seriously, you know, doing well in the prologue kind of was like, Oh, maybe I can do this, but man, I just didn't know. Did you, were you confident going in because of their time with Kriegel or your comp background or what, what, what was that like for you? Yeah. Maybe flying wise, I was, I was confident, you know, I was, okay. I knew that I was, I could keep up. I mean, I saw Kriegel, I, we, we fly a lot together. So I know he's better and how much he's better. So I knew exactly where I was flying wise, hmm. but of course the physical thing was, completely new and then the long you know sleeping in in the in hotels and in, in, in the van and all that stuff that was completely new so i had no idea how i would perform in that way and there was one thing also that i was confident is that uh, i can let go the others you know if they you know some people they're pretty trained and fit but 
then they go too fast and then the third day they're they're dead ah yeah and right. if, if they were yourself. exactly so if they if they were mentally stronger they could have beaten me twice you know but but since they you know they pulled the night past they did this and that and they got so stressed if one day they were not amongst the first 10 or i don't know but the race was so long you know mm. and that's something that i've learned you know take it easy resist 10 days everything that i did had to be able to be doing during 10 days and yeah. that was a certain confidence i think you know yeah, and the in the sleep thing, I I, I I I sympathize with you with that one. In this in this last race in twenty nineteen, it was really, you know, twenty eighteen went well because we had the one really good day and that, you know, that kind of pole vaulted me into a position that I could get to Monaco because it was certainly not looking like it was going to happen before that day. But twenty nineteen was really I felt like when our team really hit its stride and things were going well and I was flying better than I ever had and 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 then I had one night uh, getting to Titlis. Actually, the night to Titlis, so it was a huge vertical day the day before, and then a monster day on Titlis, like everybody had, other than Kriegel, who top landed up there. <laughs> um, but I, you know, physically I still felt pretty good. I mean, I was pretty wiped out, but I still felt pretty good. But that night I couldn't sleep; I just laid there all night. And and then the next day, I, I again I, I felt physically pretty well, but I couldn't put a sentence together. You know, my team could tell like, geez, he's not really there. And I just fell apart, just totally fell apart. I couldn't, I couldn't fly and nothing made sense. And I was forgetful and boy, it just really takes. So you, like you said, you, you've got to be able to keep that going for 12 days. Yeah. I think the, that the, the lack of sleep is for me was like the worst thing. And I, you know, there were three reasons that I wanted to go again to the ex Alps. And one was I have to learn how to sleep well. Uh, the second one was our communication. I wanted to, the, if I went the second time, I wanted to bring a radio because the cell phones, they don't work sometimes. Mm. And the third one was, you know, having a, a better glider one that I can really because my one was all, all good and unless I really accelerated and then it got you know instable mm. so I wanted to have a glider where I can blindly trust even full speed I'm surprised uh, that was actually my next question why haven't you done it again because I mean I'm older than you yeah it's it's not <laughs> the age I think at that time you know I when I survived I had three close shaves in my, in, uh, in my ex-alps. The one was in Lermos. There was already suit fern, the fern coming from the south. And uh, I nearly hit a, a roof, but then oh, wow. it, it went all well. I had nothing, but it was close, you know, a big collapse. The that, second was just one, coming, that was just coming into the LZ? Yeah, exactly. Oh, okay, yeah. The turn point, to, yeah. to sign the board. Yeah. And uh, then after when we crossed to the... To this Ötztal, holy shit, that was so strong conditions. <laughs> you know, I, I thought my glider was torn apart. And then there was the lake. And then the third one, I remember your video, was in southern France and you flew through it. I, I saw you uh, on the video with tears uh, below yeah. your, your glasses. Yeah. And I, in the exact place, the same place, I thought it's over. You know, it's over. <laughs> 
I was pulled to all the directions with I don't know which speed down and up and said, "Holy shit! Now this this is it." Yeah, and I, then I I really I, really thought oh. I was dead there. I I, <laughs> I just I I I hadn't given up, but I was like, "There's no fucking way I'm going to get out of this. I'm dead. I'm just dead." That was that was really a. So I that felt was kind of the time of the race where I thought, Ooh, I was, this is too much. What am I doing? Yeah. So, you know, these three close shaves, then I said, hey, and now you have two kids and uh, it's, it's, not, it's not good to go again. So this was one reason. And the second, of course, was my company because, you know, I, I knew if I was going again, I would have to train more. But I don't want to sell my company just to go to an exams. So that's why probably I haven't done it. You know, I but, feel sometimes I feel why not. But yeah, I would have to give away the company probably to be really prepared. But you're supporting Yale in this one, correct? Yes. I never said correct. the name right. Is that y- Yael? Yael. Yael. Yael, yeah. It, so, I mean, that's kind of the same thing, man. I mean, <laughs> that's a big commitment. Yeah, but it, it's not the same, you know. I mean, first of all, you know, I, I can I cannot fly if I feel it's too dangerous. Sure, I can I can go and land, and she she can, but she sh- shouldn't probably, or sometimes she should, but normally she, she should fly through. So mm. that's already a big difference. Um, uh, it's not the same, you know. And then we're we're we should be able to sleep better. We will see if that works. Now we have a camping car with a big AC. <laughs> so that's my condition to to, to come with you. <laughs> camping car with AC. And uh, and then it's a promise I gave her, you know, and that was in 2013 when we first, 14, when we first started to think about this idea. And then she's, I told her, if you help me, I will help you one day. Mm. Very so cool. now she, the last two times she wanted to go, but she had some physical problems yep. and now she's ready. And I said, yeah, I keep my word. Yeah. She, I had her on the podcast a while back that, uh, landing on a moving car sounded pretty adventurous. You know, she was doing some acro and birdie, yeah. I think. And yeah. So, well, I'm glad she's healthy and wow. You know, this is exciting. I think Lori and Yael, they're going to put up a good fight. You know, I think they're, they're both really strong pilots yeah. and yeah. clearly training hard and it's going to be awesome to watch. You know, that was, that could be one, I mean, you know, this obviously, but the, the big thing that has changed it, since since our time in in 2015 i remember at one point in the race uh hansa and i launched together and that was hansa's fifth and his last so he had done it since 2007 and he made a comment he said gavin i'm going everything's going right in this race i'm going as fast as i've ever gone and i'm in whatever we were in at the point 16th or 15th or something he said, I just can't believe how fast this race is getting. And since 2015, it's almost like it's another 20% or something. It's crazy uh, how fast that. it's going. It's just, uh, yeah, it's, it's, it, it is really remarkable. I mean, I felt like in 2015, you could make big mistakes and, and still be in it. 
And I mean, I certainly made a ton in that race and you could kind of, you could, you could crawl back. And I feel like now it's, man, you know, in 2017, I made a mistake early and that was kind of it. I just, it just, it's just, everybody's moving so much faster. Yeah. That's also what, what, uh, my, my friends tell me, you know, the level is constantly rising. Yeah. And I think that that's, could be a problem for, for some countries. Because I know that Red Bull, they want, of course, as many countries as possible. But yeah, it, it will be more and more difficult, you know, though, to, you know, those, let's call them the adventurers, they have no chance. The yeah. adventurers have no chance in that race anymore. They had before. Yeah. You know, I, and the I, old guys, they told me that the one that won the first one and, and then... Uh, Alex Hover that won the second and the third. You know, they they had a very huge equipment, 20 kilos, and <laughs> they improvised. They were different times. Yeah, That's for sure. very different times. And the the course itself has really changed things as well. You know, the, in this last race with, you know, they, they almost doubled the amount of turn points. And that, I think, for the athletes really removes a lot of the – excitement because you can't make big moves. I mean, when you look at the replays and the track logs, everybody's playing follow the leader. You know, you just can't yeah. really, you know, when, when back in our day when we had the turn point uh, in Bellinzona and then to the Matterhorn, there's a lot of different ways you can fly that yeah. almost 200K. You know, you could take south, middle, north. Uh, and now it, there's you, you wouldn't you can't go that far off course line. You know, the, the, the distances between turn points are really – Sure. Makes it less less interesting in in a, in a certain way, right? It certainly does. Yeah. Well, so then let's let's switch to the Iger Tour because is that is that something that kind of sounds like almost filled the gap for you? Because that you know that that's a massive undertaking as well. I think this will be will this be the fourth? Yeah, the fourth up? edition. Yeah. And such an awesome race. Uh, it's. It just looks so cool. So for those who aren't familiar, just explain briefly what it is and what was kind of the catalyst to get that going. So actually the idea arose that we had a race in Switzerland. It's called Verkofly. And, yeah. you know, in Switzerland, we have 120 mountain huts that belong to our Alpine club. They're up behind the mountains and they have everything, shelter, food, uh, water, beds, whatever you need. So the, I was at this race in Switzerland, southern Switzerland. It was very nice, but um, I felt, you know, very complicated rules. And then I was at the X Alps, and then I thought, okay, let's synthesize those two races, which is the Verkofly and the X Alps. And then I, I kind of created the Eigetour. I, I just thought that would be the race I would like to do, but of course I cannot. As an organizer, I cannot yeah. participate. I know it's it is very demanding, and uh, I don't know if you've heard Kriegel saying it's 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 harder than the X Alps. Well, no, I haven't. I really, that's I didn't know what that. he stated in Swiss newspaper. <laughs> wow, is that is that because it's you don't have a supporter and it's just a lot of vertical? Because I mean, I know you you cover some pretty amazing countries. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> some pe some people have done five thousand seven hundred meters a day vertical, oh, that's and. <laughs> And then you have the, the top landing, and then we are in the most thermal active month in the year, mm -hmm. you know, and top landing, and that 
it's very demanding, you know, sometimes that's also why, why I split and, you know, for the pros, I give them medium to difficult huts and for the challenge race, I give them what I think easy huts, but this year I have to take out some more because we always had some accidents while mm. top landing. Mm. So, you know, the, the idea was exactly that you don't need to have this um, logistics that you need in, in, in the X-Ups. So you can come along alone, right? You take your plane, put, pack your stuff. You don't need to rent a car and come with uh, two or three guys to Switzerland. So you don't need a big budget. And yeah. then you don't need to, to think a lot. And I also want to make sure that athletes, they eat sufficiently. And they're, let's say, more or less safe because everywhere where they have to land, there are people, there's a yeah. hut. And, you know, if, if you're hungry and you're in the middle of the prairie, then you probably go on hungry because you say, I can't make a big detour to the next big uh, McDonald's. But if you land at a hut and you're hungry, you lose three minutes and you buy some stuff and eat and go on. So, so that's, yeah, I was going to say, so you're not, you're not, uh, you don't have you don't have to carry much water and food because you're trying no. you're you're having breakfast and dinner every day at a hut. If you want, of course, the, you want, the very yeah. competitive people sometimes they they don't even want to spend the three minutes to eat the cake at a hut. But and then the huts they're very enthusiastic. You know they like yeah. us to pass by and they they bring you food and drinks and they you know they follow online the race. So that was actually my idea to make it. Simple and um, only four days. And there's also a Kriegel, he agrees that four days, he says it's the perfect length of a race. He four thinks days, that, three nights. Yeah. And and don't you, don't you, tell me if I've, I've got this wrong, but I've watched all the videos and stuff, but it's the, you announce the course the morning of, right? You have a, yes. you have a, you have a meeting. Everybody's already got, what, what would, what would be the prep? What do people say if you're coming from the States and you want to come do the Iger and you're real limited on time, what, what do you need to do in advance? Um, okay. I have so many huts that I can't tell you to visit all the huts because it's like 50 huts. If yeah. you have time, you can cover five or six in a day. Then you can do all the huts, of course. And that, but I mean, could you, could lot. you just show up like, could you just show up the day before the race starts and download the maps and of or is that not enough preparation? Okay. That's no, enough. you can do that. It's yeah. not a problem. Okay. Of course, if, I mean, it, it's, it can, it can be an advantage to know it, but last year Kriegel and Paddle and Sepp for, for knowing it, they, they lost like two hours because they thought like there's a big mountain ridge that is called Liesenkette. And they thought that the west side never works. Kriegel says it never works. And he lives there. So he, he made a detour. And then all the guys in the back, the pack, you know, they, they were like three hours behind. And in the evening, everybody was to get together again. Whoa, very so cool. That was the proof that sometimes knowing it, it's not always an advantage. Yeah, and I mean, we yeah. see that in World Cups all the time, isn't it? I mean, it's very rarely the local hero that wins the comp because, yeah. you know, you get kind of set in your ways, don't you? Oh, that's great. Cool. On the other so, hand, what I like, if you know the area, then you can – basically, you could fly without the GPS, you know? Mm. And that's also something I – just for me, because I hate instruments, I love free flight. Free flight is going where I want. And I thought, okay, if somebody really hates instruments – and he knows the huts. He can do it without. He just needs so, a cell phone. 
so you have the two categories, the, the, the lower category, what would you, what would you recommend? How many, who does that suit, you know, and how much experience, if for, it, does it suit somebody who's never done a hike and fly race or is that a little too aggressive? So now I, you know, I've learned with the, with the three editions now in, in 2021, I will have four categories Four. Oh. Which of them I have two that are actually a race, which which is for the professionals. That you have to have done the ex Alps, you have to be mountain guide or paragliding teacher. That's for the pros, and then I have the challenge, which also requires a lot of experience, uh, hike and fly race experience. And this year I will I will ask the guys to show me a video of a very difficult landing. Mm. You know, and I, I also, some people I don't accept. So you have to be selected by okay. me. So that's still very high caliber. The challenge race is high caliber. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And then I said, okay, I, I felt the interest of people like they said, I've never done a, a race. Then I made the academy. I get to her academy. So last year was the first time we did it. We had um, 10 participants and we saw that the field was still too wide. You know, because some they already pushed and some they could hardly take off in a in a snowfield. So now this year we we split the category to two different categories still. So we have one for somebody who has no idea, and then I have the one that somebody that wants to be, become a challenge pilot. So those two the two lowest categories are they're not a race it's no an experience. they're actually a tourist experience yeah that's Call great that so you don't have the pressure of trying yeah. to get anywhere you just go exactly pace learn off oh, fantastic everybody sleeps in the same hut you, you and then you, you have professional teachers you have a briefing you have a debriefing in the evening so it's really it's a, a learning experience Ah, oh, fantastic. Yeah. That sounds so great. So I'm going to ask you to imagine something that's very hard for a Swiss to imagine, but we've been trying to get something like you're doing off the ground here in the States. The problem is, is with the exception of Colorado, we don't have a hut system anywhere that that doesn't exist. Colorado a little bit, but then, you know, the Colorado has there's such high mountains and there's so much wind it's just there's no way to pick a time of the year that that would actually go so yeah. we're trying to figure out how to do something kind of similar but without huts what would be your suggestion could you could you just have you know tents set up at the top of a mountain where you have you know some food and stuff or how would you approach something like that I would probably look for for lower lower places i mean i'm sure you guys have some cabins and some some lodges and nothing not, not i mean you know cabins there's four service cabins and that kind of thing that are uh but they're so far apart you know we don't have any kind of like a network that you know where you could stay in a little kind of cereal bowl area uh that you know this is kind of protected because the problem we have is of course wind you know there's just there's a hard time you know like you you're pretty much you're always committed to these dates in July and you know, you're going to get a couple of days, you know, you, you've had bad weather as we always do in the Xops, but you're going to get a couple of days. And even in the bad weather, you're going to be able to fly. We get a yeah. lot of time. We just can't fly. So we have to make, I mean, at all, it just is not, you know, we days like that. So we have to make it something that you could do on foot and yet hopefully you'll get some flying, but we just, it's hard to figure out how to support because we'd really like to do it unsupported. You know, the, it, 
you could do it with a support team, but then it yeah. adds costs and personnel and it's, it's very hard. It makes access for a lot of people much tougher. The beautiful yeah. thing about the Iger is you can just show up with your kit and do it. Yeah. You, you can just pack your glider and some stuff and fly over and, and, and compete. Yeah. You know, that's, that's, it's like plug and play. Um, yeah. How, how, how could you do that? I mean, yeah, maybe with tents. Yeah. Maybe then, you just have to set up like a, almost like an Ironman type of thing. You just set up, uh, you know, refueling zones or something. And then you could also say everybody sleeps at, at the certain tent and then you just count the time to get there. And then people will uh, stay at the same place. You bring you know? them, you bring them there and you bring them back to where they, okay. Yeah. You, you know, like, uh, today we're going to have three turn points and the third one will be our, our sleeping place. Mm. And the uh, Kriegel arrives at 1 p.m. and some guys arrive at 8 p.m. But everybody's yeah. there. And the next day you make the next um, step. Ah, you do a mass start every day. That'd be kind of neat too. Because yeah. then everybody's together and having fun. And you're, you know, exactly. We do that. We, we just created the Swiss Championships of Hike and Fly last year. No, the, day bef the year before. And, and uh, we're doing the same uh, type of thing you know we, we do every day one thing every every night all the pilots are together and at the end of the three days you you count the points ah cool okay um yeah that just sounds so fun the let's let's get back to your own kind of personal journey when i didn't even know this but my first world cup you were here you were in sun valley back in 2012 i know you used to fly a lot of comps are you still doing a lot of competing no, I just, um, I do Swiss comps um, because now, of course, you know, I have little time and then I have so many hike and fly stuff going on. So I, last two years, I just did the Swiss championships okay. for for normal comps. So you're doing the Swiss cup? Is yeah, the, the Swiss, Swiss cup, or, or I didn't go to many, you know, I just, I think I went to two last year and last year, um, yeah. Two comps. One was Swiss Cup and one was the Swiss Championships, which was a five-day competition. And How much time does the Iger Tour take to you to run? What is, what's involved in in that kind of an effort? Is that like year-round, or is it something that takes up a ton of your time all year? Or can you kind of throw it together? Okay, um, maybe I don't know. It's it's all year-round because now right now I'm programming my new web shop, and then you have this and that. We're, we're actually developing a, a hike and fly app. So we don't need those um, fly masters things anymore. Yeah, right. And you only have one device in the future, which will be your cell phone, Great. which will also make a tracking. And then you just need the cell phone and an external battery. So mm. your question, Great. how much time it takes, it's very, sometimes it takes nights and nights and nights. And sometimes maybe three weeks, I do nothing. Like okay. in November, you know, can happen. And is this just a project and you don't, we don't share anything you don't want to, but is this just a project that's really kind of from the heart or is there a financial side of it too that, that makes it worthwhile or is it just something you're doing because <laughs> you, you like it or is that a joke? <laughs> I'm an entrepreneur, Gavin. So yeah. it came from the heart and uh, it's been three years now and I, I'm still looking how to make it profitable. You know, I don't want to get rich, but at least I want to have um, my hours paid. 
Sure. And I also want to gather some money because I have some other races in my head that I will do further on. So I have to be able to develop. Ideally, I would have like three races a year and I could have a staff that becomes more and more professional in organizing and also get probably stronger um, sponsors because I don't have a lot of sponsors. I don't Mm. invest a lot of time to look for sponsors. So let's say if I don't count my hours, it's been a zero round so far, but it has not paid my hours. Mm-hmm. And um, it should become probably a little bit more uh, better with the future. I just had a, some students do a bachelor thesis about making Tour profitable, and they That's found right. out some there very interesting things. <laughs> <laughs> because yeah, I think it's, it can't be that I that I sponsor. You know, I, I sure I want just yeah, I want my hours paid ideally. Yeah, but it's also very nice, you know. As, a, as an entrepreneur, I shouldn't do it. And you know why? Because of the risk. The risk exists that something bad happens. I know yeah. it. People know it that come, and uh, I hope it will never be the case, but I have to be conscious that something bad can happen. You know? Yeah, and I mean, it's it's interesting that even you say something about that in Switzerland. You know, that's that's always the huge fear here is we are – you know, we are a very lawsuit uh, happy culture here in the States and you can be sued for anything. And it's just, that's always, you know, every year when we go, let's do this or let's have a fly in or let's have a little comp. It's always like, yeah, man, you know, we just, you can't open yourself up to that kind of lawsuit and you're, you're much more protected in Switzerland than we are from that. But still, I guess it could happen. We have that, you know, the mountain people have that mentality. They say in the mountain, everyone is on his own. Yeah. Everyone takes his own decisions. Yeah. Of course, I checked it with my lawyer and he says, he says, worst case scenario for me would be to be judged. But um, how do you say, like conditionally? Yeah. So I would still live at home and I would have something around my, my leg (laughs) to control where I am. But, you know, I said, as long, as long as I can see my kids, I can live with that. But I can't go to jail. You know, that would be a no-go. If he, if he yeah. told me in the worst case, he would be in jail. I say I have to stop it right away. Yeah, boy. Well, I hope, so, you, hope you're able to navigate that. Yeah, that's that's always kind of a scary side of what we're doing for sure. And, and it's, almost... you know, it's it's funny because, yeah, people, they love it. They, they love the race. They, you know, last year I had to I had to cut because there were yeah. too many inscriptions. I saw that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's it. That's also a reason why I do it because I see the happy people. Ah, oh, it looks like so much fun. I mean, the videos for those of you who haven't watched them, you know, get online and just YouTube or go to your go to the website, Niger Tour Rocks. But the uh, the videos that they're being put up, and I mean, that was where I first discovered this whole speed bar uphill downhill <laughs> down wind landing. That was invented by Kriegel because he knew that uh, to win that race, it was his key to be even faster. I mean, that's next level. I I had never, (laughs) I had never even thought about that. You know, that just that's not what you do. You land into the wind, and and uh, I mean, it's it's an advanced move. It's it's tough. I've been working on it a lot this year (laughs) because it's very inspiring watching him. You know, land on waterfalls and stuff. But it's a yeah, it's 
well, hats off to you for making that work. It's been fantastic. And I want to, I want to also ask you about, you know, I follow you on Instagram and the XOps Academy and stuff. And it sounds like, you know, you've taken a real position there. You obviously do a lot of ski touring and spend a lot of time outdoors, but I've always been so jealous of this, you know, that you can go to get prepared for, for a race. I mean, I wish I had something like that here where I could go and learn. Um, you talked a little bit at the top of the show about what that looks like from the physical standpoint. You're trying to make these, these athletes durable and resilient and, you know, get them into weight training and that kind of thing. But what else are you learning? Is it, is it a lot of process stuff, you know, are you teaching people how to pack their wing? What, 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 if I just showed up tomorrow at the XOPS Academy, what am I going to learn? So first I have to clarify that, you know, I have the coach position with Kriegel at the beginning and I did the beginning, but last year I handed over to a guy, uh, Ben Hussein, but I'm still there. I'm still there, you know, but, but I haven't uh, this position right now. Um, What would you learn? You would learn, for example, how to be faster in a in a ski mountaineering paragliding race. Have you ever done that? No. So you have the the racing schemo skis. You run up, you leave them open. You don't even take off the first. You fly with them like this down. You land, pack your wing. You probably don't even take off your harness. You run up the next hill. You take off again, and you do it this three times. Like this would be something that you could learn. That you've probably never done. Yeah. Um, I always rip my skins when I do that, but I, I love it. That'll be my next training. That sounds great. Yeah. And um, then, of course, sometimes we do, you know, we just go together on, on a hike and fly with no specific task. Or or we go and we make a, a, a little task with four t- turn points. And then we have... Um, you know, we have, in, um, how you call this, impulse, pulse training, mm-hmm. uh, you know, running up the harder mountain, which is just next to Interlaken. Um, and then, but there's also the mental part. We have the, you know, this psychologue that uh, Thomas Deria, you know him, but he was yeah, a supporter yeah. of Kriegel. He's, he's again. So he, he helps us as well, you know, to work on the mental part. And then I think a lot is also just the spirit of all those people around, you know. Mm-hmm. And you hike up and you talk and you talk about best practice, about this and that. Okay, let's try it. I can show you this and that. You know, a lot of things that are informally also learned. If you, what what's like one thing that you could pull out of everything that you've seen and at the XOPS Academy in the years since your 2015 race, when you look back, what one thing is like, God, I wish I had known that or had practiced that. What, what was the, what's one thing that would have really made a difference in your own race? To me, actually nothing, because I was like the, I was the prototype of the XOPS Academy. You know, Mm -hmm. I asked Trigel, can we train together? And he said, yeah, of course. So, um, you know, I always say it's like if you learn to play tennis with Roger Federer, you learn, I'm sure you will learn very quickly. And I got so many hints from him that otherwise I would have learned on my own. So I was actually like the the first XOPS baby, you know. Huh. Um, can you share any of the hints 
like, oh, I, I have an example because I know I know Yael is because in, she's in Verbier and she's you know it's hard for her to come over and and join the academy. So I, I asked her this, and I know she's working with Thomas uh, as I am, which yeah. which has been oh, okay. really which has been really great. Cool. Yeah, um, what how what are you passing on to her in terms of uh, just being ready? Okay, what what I pass on to her is that. Um, I tell her that her flying skills are way enough. Yeah. She doesn't have to be the fittest. She has to be. Yeah. She has to be durable. That's the only thing. And for that, she needs also to gain some weight. She's trying to. She's really struggling to gain weight. Because yeah. I, I'm sure that if you're very, very thin, you know, you need a little a little fat to burn during that long race. Yeah. And, and then... I, I think that's about it. And then also she asks me to to maybe come, you know, the difficult flying decisions to also tell her my opinion. Would I still fly? Would I not fly? Because she's she's seen that with me, you know, that it can get very quickly, very dangerous, depending on the winds and stuff. So that's what she wants from me, you know, a very, very honest opinion when the once we're in the race. Mm, yeah. Um, Michael, we, before, uh, I've got a couple other questions for you and then I'm going to fire some, some kind of rapid fire questions at you that we've, we put up a survey about a month and a half ago. By the time this goes live, it'll be longer than that, but I've got a lot of really cool questions that just came from the audience. So I'll fire some of those at you but right. before we do. I just got to meet your little daughter there while we took a break and you mentioned your wife was pregnant like five months pregnant or so in the 2015 race. Yeah. How has kids changed your relationship with risk and flying? And, you know, you've been at this game a long time, you know, a lot of years of world cups and then X Alps. And then now you're, you know, I still, I see you're still getting after it, doing fun things with a wing. I've had my own kind of interesting journey with that. You know, my Fallon's three years old now. She was, Maddie was very pregnant in the 2017 race. I was kept, kept waiting for the call the to call. come in to have to race home, you know, during the race itself. But I'm just wondering how that's, has it, and, and if it has, how has it changed your relationship with flying and risk? I think with flying, <clears throat> you know, what's changed even more, my, 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 uh, risk behavior was uh, two years ago when I lost my friend uh, in front of me in an avalanche. I think that was, you know, I, I couldn't save him and um, he died. And that was like the moment where I thought, oh man, um, I could be standing next to this grave. I could be in the grave next to his. And then I thought, you know, my life was actually very good. I have no complaints, but I want to see my kids grow up. That was like the strongest reason to to be alive right now. And um, so then I said, in the future, I will, I will always, before I do something risky, I will always think about the worst case. And if I think worst case is death, then I don't do it. If worst case is breaking a leg, I can I can live with that, and that's been my you know my guideline since then. Uh, so my like my ski mountaineering is normally under thirty degrees, you know, no avalanche risk. I miss some nice powder, but that's 
the price they pay. And also flying, <clears throat> but flying, you know, I've, except that ex-alps, I've never really had problems. So I don't feel flying, I'm in a big danger. Mm. It hasn't changed a lot with my flying behavior. I've always been, you know, I, I know that I'm my level is a little below that some pros we have in Switzerland. And let's give you an example. Uh, during the Swiss champs, they will... They will go full speed with an Enso 3, um, 20 meters to a, to a rock. And I will go half speed or I will fly it further around because I know that my green zone is not as high as theirs. But that's been even before having kids that I think I, yeah. that's always been there. Mm -hmm. Okay, that was a good answer. I'll I'll get in. So these you can answer long or short, however you want. But there's just kind of some fun ones. Okay. Uh, what skill or th something that you have you learned from life or any other sport has helped you become a better pilot? Um, that you should never give up. Mm. You know, sometimes you think this. I will not find a thermal. It's, it's over. But it's normally not over. Mm. You know, I always remember in Brazil, I, that was the most impressive. I was in Brazil on a comp and then I was like, I don't know, 15, 20 meters above ground. And I got this thermal. <laughs> it got up again. And once also in Brazil, we were sticking to a, a rock. It was raining during one hour. And we could just keep the height above the rock. And then it cleared up again. And we made goal. <laughs> that was crazy, you know. Yeah. But that's something that I always try to learn in life from paragliding, but also keep it in mind because our mind some sometimes, you know, make makes this black and white decisions. It says, Oh, it's raining, it's over. You can yeah. go and land. But yeah. no, it's not. Yeah. I think that's that's one of the things that keeps drawing me back to the the X Ops in a sense, is that you're flying, you know, in the last race, we had the day going up the Rhine. There was no sun. It was just, it wasn't windy. It was just, it was kind of a cool day, but it was not, it was never a day you would wake up and go, I'm going to go flying today. You would never go flying because you, you never did anything more than just a sledder. And I've never, I, don't, I don't know if I've had that much fun paragliding in a long time. It was great. I mean, those were the coolest sledders ever. You're, sled, you're mm -hmm. sledding over, you know, morning glory clouds in the morning and fog and in and out of, you know, in and out of little wispies and, you know, and it was mellow and there was no wind and there was no thermals and it was just, you're just having a day in the mountains. But, you know, usually you'd go do something else on those kind of days, you know. That's why, so, that's why I like competitions. I still yeah. like to do them, you know. It's not that much for winning, but for being, for for pushing myself in the, into those exactly conditions as you mentioned them. You know, you you do things that you will never do, and you will experience amazing things during competitions. And also sometimes you will lack a little bit the time to really enjoy it because you have to always go forward. Mm. You know, that's let's say the negative side, but the positive is definitely that you go into conditions that you would never mm. if it wasn't for a comp sure okay if you get back to a time before you started flying would you make a different decision yeah probably yes i think that there, there's not there's no other sport that i know that is that much 
teaching about life than paragliding. Mm. Even for economy, also you know, for my for my uh, company, I learn a lot of things. Mm. Yeah, one thing is also the focus. That's what I learned from our league boss. He said, if you're high, you can think about strategy. If you're low, don't look at the others. Just think, where can I get up? And then again, you can think about strategy. You know, and that, that's what he calls the focus. You know, if you're low, thermal. If you're high, where to go? Where are the others? What, what can I do? And mm. in business, it's exactly the same. Oh, that's great. I like that. What was the best tip you've gotten in all these years that influenced your flying the most? Something Kriegel taught you or a mentor or somebody, or even just something you saw in a comp? I mean, probably uh, at the beginning, it was probably the, the, the theory of the, the fastest flight, you know, you know, I'm an engineer. So I even programmed, you know, uh, I had my, my, how do you call the polar of my wing? Yeah. And then I programmed uh, headwind, tailwind, expected uh, lift, and uh, expected sink. So that's the McCready theory. And then I <clears throat> I had a table on my cockpit that I could read how fast I would fly. And it's amazing that normally you have to fly a lot faster than you, you would think to use the McCready theory. You and I had this conversation that I've brought up over and over again. I don't know if you listen to this show, but I've brought you up a lot. We had this great conversation coming off of Camp and Vond about your business and you're an engineer. And I don't know if you remember this, but we were, I was commenting on, God, there's so many engineers in this sport. And you, you gave me a great answer that I, I'm fuzzy on now. What, why is it that engineers are so attracted to flying? Maybe I'm an engineer because I'm attracted to flying, you know? Ah, <laughs> I think it's the way around. Yeah, it's it's really true that I think at, at that moment in the excerpts, I told you that like probably 30 or 40 percent of all the the guys in the top 10 in Switzerland have always been mechanical engineers. Yeah. But OK, let's let's call it this way. You know, aerodynamics is a is a field of mechanical engineering method, uh, you know, the, the weather. It's also fluid dynamics. So I think we have already this kind of basis to understand better what's going on. Mm. Let's say the non-engineer pilot, he can make it up with experience. But we already have like a little package that we can just unpack to understand Mm. things. You know, Mm. like the McCready theory to understand that what's, you know, the fastest way of flying. If you ask an average pilot, he probably he will not really get what what does it mean. I think that's and especially uh, I because I like flying. I I specialized in fluid dynamics, you know. So it was all about fluid and flows and stuff. And I think that helped. That really helps. Is that is that super translatable though? I mean, understanding fluid dynamics you know, from a theoretical standpoint and from algorithms and math, does it, does it just cross over into understanding flow in the invisible? Yeah, I think it does. It really Mm. does. You know, you know, 
to understand the, what's a Reynolds number and yeah. to know that uh, on your wingtip you have a different one than in, in the middle of your wing and to know what is the induced drag and why the birds are flying, you know, in the V shape. I mean, okay, normal people probably know that. Why do, you know, when mm -hmm. birds travel, they use the V shape or they fly very low like the albatross. You've seen them on the sea with your boat, I'm sure. Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah. So that's all, bird. when you see them, then if you're a mechanical engineer, you know exactly why they're flying so low because they use the, you know, the floor effect. And you know exactly why the, why the, the birds, they use this V shape flying one behind the other because they, they annihilate one of their, of their rotors and they have less drag. And that's all the things that, that certainly help. Mm. What should beginners avoid? Paragliding beginners? Yeah. People just getting into the sport. What should they be most aware of? I always tell people paragliding is not a dangerous sport if you practice it only in a, in a good weather. So if you want to push into demanding weather, you need a lot more of experience. And something that I also, also think that the beginners don't do enough is ground handling. Mm. It's not that sexy, you know, to stand there for hours and control your wing. But I, I tell people when it's really windy, go, go out in the field. And then after a moment, go, go behind a tree to feel the lee side and try to keep your wing up. And if you do this for hours and hours, you will be a, a much better pilot than if you do 20 more flights in a, in a nice weather. That's, mm. that's my tip for probably for beginners. That's great. Okay, last one. Uh, what was or still is the hardest or most demanding thing that you needed to or still need to learn? Yeah, let's say in paragliding, um, I would like to... Um, to control my wing better in, in, in very extreme situations. So, but I would, I would be very scared to be a test pilot, you know, just, just go full gas and collapse, you know, but that would be good for me. Mm. I'm sure, you know, you can see those, those pilots, you will see them again in summer that are test pilots, you know, there's their green flying zone is so much higher than, than, than mine. Yeah. Because they do this every day. Yeah. Yeah. I saw, I saw Aaron Durgati when I was training with him. I think that was the 2015 race and take off on a day where it was very much an X Alps day, but it was not a recreational day. And we were just out training and I just thought, man, there's no, there's no plus side to this. Why, 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 why even try? I mean, it was nasty, really strong fern and awful. And, uh, but I think it's because he has that test pilot mentality and just, you know, I was more than happy walking down and he was like, nah, this is fine. Yeah. It, you know, just go full gas and then make, make a collapse. It, that, that's against my intuition because I always <laughs> want to keep it open. Sure. And, uh, yeah, I think they have test pilots. They have a very, very good, uh, experience. Yeah, they certainly do. Michael, what a pleasure. I really, really enjoyed that. Thank you for your time. It's good to see you. Thank man. you, Gavin. It's, yeah, it's it was very nice. While. Yeah, that was I great. see you're, so uh, you're in good shape and happy. That, that's, that's nice. Yeah, you know, I, I, 
I hope we get to have the race, but I, I kind of figure our approach uh, since September has been, you know, worst case scenario is I'd spend the winter getting fit so that there's worse things in life. So I hope we get to come over and have this race, but we'll see. But no, it's, I, I'm very thankful to be able to spend so much time on, on just on training. It's, it's, yeah. it's keeping me sane right now. Yeah, that's cool. I mean, for also for me, it's been not such a bad year, you know. No. I've always been outside, and yeah, it's been it's been great. Will it's you come to the Eiger Tour if you after exams? We are coming for sure. Whether I race or not is, uh, you know, it's so tight because we won't get done until the first, and what, it kicks off with the seventh. Is it the seventh or even earlier? of June? No, no, no your race. Line, yeah. Yeah. And so Ben and Revis, uh, my two of my supporters are both planning on doing it. And, you know, if you've got the space to throw me in and my feet are okay, usually my feet are pretty hammered, man, after the end of this race. So if my feet are okay, cause I really wanted to do the last one and, uh, but I just, I, I couldn't walk well enough, you know, so I, I watched from afar, but, uh, yeah. I think the timing is going to be a little too tight for me. I'm an old guy, buddy. I take some time to recover, but, but, uh, I will for sure be sitting in interlocking and watch it go on and have some beers with you. And maybe I can help yeah, out right. with logistics or something else. If yeah. I can't actually get in the race. We can do ben, some flights still. Yeah, that'd be great. I, that'd be great. I just don't know if I'm going to be capable of running up mountains that fast, but we'll see. Then you would we'll take see. the cable car. Maybe it'll be like 2013 where, where we just fly the whole damn course and it'll be nice weather, but I haven't had that experience yet. <laughs> but you, maybe you, otherwise you can be, uh, you know, the special guest for our academy and you go with them. Great. Love you know? to. Yeah, that sounds fun. That'd be, that'd be fantastic. If so, if I, I will be involved in some way. We, we have the van rented for the whole time. And, and like I said, Ben and Revis are doing it. So uh, we'll be there and okay. I can't wait to see you in person. Okay. But Thanks, bud. That was that was a blast, and uh, it's it's so good to see you. And congrats on the little ones, and uh, congrats on that's the easy to make but hard to educate. You know, <laughs> 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 we will see. You know. Okay, again, it was a big pleasure to see, you and uh, yeah, ho hope to see you in uh, in some month in Switzerland. find the cloud-based mayhem valuable you can support it in a lot of different ways you can give us a rating on itunes or stitcher or however you get your podcast that goes a long ways and helps spread the word you can blog about it on your own website or share it on social media you can talk about it on the way up to launch with your pilot friends i know a lot of interesting conversations have happened that way and of course you can support us financially this show does take a lot of time a lot of editing a lot of storage and music and all kinds of behind the scenes cost. So if you can support us financially, all we've ever asked for is a buck a show. And you can do that through a one-time donation through PayPal, or you can set up a subscription service that charges you for each show that comes out. We put a new show out every two weeks. So for example, if you did a buck a show and every two weeks, it'd be about $25 a year. So way cheaper than a magazine subscription. And it makes all of this possible. I do not want to fund this show with advertising or sponsors. We get asked about that uh, pretty frequently, but I, for a whole bunch of different reasons, which I've said many times on the show, I don't want to do that. I don't like having that stuff at the front of the show. And I also want you to know that these are authentic conversations with real people. And these are just our opinions, but our opinions are not being skewed by sponsors or advertising dollars. I think that's a pretty toxic business model. So I hope you dig that. Um, 
You can support us. If you go to cloudbasedmayhem.com, you can find the places to support. You can do it through patreon.com forward slash cloudbasedmayhem. If you want a recurring subscription, you can also do that directly through the website. Uh, We've tried to make it really easy, and that will give you access to all the bonus material, little video casts that we do and extra little uh, nuggets that we find in conversations that don't make it into the main show, but we feel like you should hear. We don't put any of that behind a paywall. If you can't afford to support us then just let me know and i'll set you up with an account of course that'll be lifetime and hopefully you're being in a position someday to be able to support us but you'll find all that on the website uh all of you who have supported us or even joined our newsletter or bought cloud-based mayhem merchandise t-shirts or hats or anything you should be all set up you should have an account you should be able to access all that bonus material now thank you so much for listening i really appreciate your support And we'll see you on the next show. Thank you.